On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking about the throne speech with Ian Lee from the Sprott School of Business. Um, interesting things, a lot of things thrown out there. Sounds like a hefty price tag. Is it? Well, he'll explain. Uh, we're also going to talk about what happened in the address to the nation after the throne speech. And we're going to talk about pumpkin spice because all the other things just seem to be a little antagonizing. But we will talk about pumpkin spice for all you who either love that flavor or those who hate it. I was trying to think of a good way to describe those of you who love it. I, I don't have a good word for you, but we'll talk about it all if you stay right here. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Earlier today, we had the throne speech delivered by Governor General Julie Payette. Uh, the words of the government spoken by her. And I want to bring in right off the bat, without much more introduction, uh, someone we love having on here to talk about these issues, Ian Lee from the Sprott School of Business. Thanks for doing this tonight. Really appreciate your time. Pleasure. And I did uh, watch and read. I also got a copy and I read the Thrones from Thrones. Wow. Well. You are either a very, very learned man or a glutton for punishment. And I think it's the former, but you <laughs> may also be the latter. You're locked up in your house because of social <laughs> isolation and you got nothing else to do with your life. <laughs> Ian, let me, um, now, normally I don't like to take too, too long. I like to ask shorter questions, but this one's going to take a second. So grab a coffee or something. I want to read you a list. This is just the list that I wrote while watching today of yeah. the things that the government says it is going to do. Fight COVID, fight opioids, national pharmacare program, improve the healthcare system, improve long-term care, a national daycare program, better education, jobs for women, more jobs for seniors, firearms bans, unemployment insurance expansion, more shelters, stopping gender-based violence, increased money for public transit, energy-efficient retrofits for buildings, universal broadband internet, affordable housing, and eliminate homelessness, regional routes for airlines, getting digital giants to tell our stories, fix food insecurity, stabilize food chains support sectors hurt by the pandemic, protect migrant workers, more money for farmers, big investment in worker training, grow the middle class, modernize IT systems, free tax filing, more money for disabled, a million new jobs, exceed to the 2030 climate goals, more electric vehicle charging stations, new funds for zero emission companies, more for foresters and ranchers, expand urban parks, plant 2 billion trees, ban single-use plastics, create a new Canada Water Agency, more money for irrigation infrastructure, reform the RCMP and promote Promote French, and I don't think I got them all. That seems like a lot. Exactly. Um, you know, my sort of facetious reaction is this sounds like a government that is really desperate um, and feels they have to throw the kitchen sink and maybe the bathroom sink and maybe the shower uh, in in the bargain to try to get reelected. I mean, I I just cannot remember in my lifetime a throne speech that went an hour and that promised just about everything except to eliminate old age, death, and cancer. I think those are the only three that aren't on that list. Uh, but more seriously, um, and I, I want to put my uh, caveat up front. If this is serious, if this is not just, you know, window dressing to go to the polls uh, to make them look good, if they are really, truly serious about following through on all these promises, then this is a, an extraordinarily frightening um, throne speech, and I want to explain why. I also think it's an extremely dangerous gamble, but first, why it's frightening. Uh, I think that there's easily, there was no price tag anywhere throughout the throne speech. They were very careful not to put a price tag to any of these promises, and some of them are just enormously expensive. Just very quickly, Pharmacare, PPO has said it'll be 25 to $40 billion fully funded pharmacare. A fully funded daycare will be in the billions and billions. And there's many more in there that go in the billions and billions. If they were to implement every one of these, there's got to be easily over $100 billion of promises in that throne speech today. And we're already at a third of a trillion in the hole. And that would take it up to a half a trillion. And I don't believe that's sustainable. I just simply do not believe it's sustainable. Now, I just well, very quickly I, want to explain why I think this is an enormous gamble, a very dangerous gamble. And I'm not using these words loosely. Implicit in the, this incredible shopping list that you brought, listed off is the implicit uh, belief, gamble on their part, uh, the two things, that this gargantuan amount of spending is going to unleash an enormous explosion of GDP growth 
which will lead to an ex- enormous explosion of, of employment growth, which will lead, of course, to a lot of uh, government tax revenues, because we all know this, I mean, people that study this, when GDP goes up and the employment goes up, uh, the, the revenues just gush into the federal and the provincial revenues, the uh, treasury. They're very sensitive to growth. When growth collapses, <laughs> the, the revenues to government collapse. So that's their first gamble. Problem with that is every study I've read in the last five years from Finance Canada, IMF, OECD, there's just a unanimous consensus that as we go forward for the next third of a century with the boomers, my generation, going into retirement, that growth is going to diminish year after year for the next third of a century. Not go up, go down, and significantly go down, which means revenues and tax revenues are going to go down. So their first gigantic uh, gamble is that this is going to unleash a growth, and you know, a phenomenal increase in growth, and there's no evidence for that. The second unstated, although it's been stated in various speeches by liberal cabinet ministers, including Mr. Trudeau, that interest rates are going to remain at an historically unprecedented in human history low level, basically forever, or at least for the indefinite future. And yet, all the studies I've read have pointed out that this last 10, 15, 20 years of extraordinarily low interest rates has is unprecedented in human history. And the argument put forward by various learned economists is, is because for the last 10, 15, 20 years, you had this huge number of boomers around the world, not just Canada, U.S., everywhere. And they were in their peak earning years, and they were generating lots and lots of savings for their investments. Okay, And, and there was a surplus of savings sluicing around the world, and savings, for those who even have studied first-year economics, knows that savings, the aggregate pool of savings, finances the aggregate demand called debt, whether it's corporate debt, government debt, or mortgage debt, or consumer debt. So total indebtedness in an economy is financed by the savings of an economy. And there was a surplus of savings because the boomers were making buckets of money and saving buckets of money. However, this, there's this one economist in England, a former Bank of uh, England, a very senior advisor, is saying when the boomers are now moving into retirement, they're going to dis-save, which is the ugly term for spending your savings, because when you get older, you beat your body starts to decline. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Ian, the other thing that we've left out of this, and uh, we'll get back to what you were saying in just a second, but that afterwards... Yugmeet Singh from the NDP actually said, because that's what who the NDP that's who the Liberals need to support them to keep this thing going. Yeah. He says, "Oh, you haven't spent enough, so yeah. we've got you got to do more, and they need the NDP to prop them up and make sure we don't have to go to the polls." Um, you said just before the break that the two things that were really concerning one is that interest rates are at an all time low and they could go up. The other is that we have a, an aging, significantly aging population, which is going to be costly. I want to throw in a third, and you're the expert, but I want to throw in a third thing here that I think we somehow seem to forget always when we talk about going into debt and deficits. We do pay money to service this debt. It's like if you owe money on your mortgage, you have to pay the interest. And prior to this year, we were already paying something like $40 billion a year. That's going to go up to 50 or $60 billion which is money we're just flushing down the toilet that could go to programs. So when we say we can borrow, yeah, we can borrow, but it doesn't come for free. That's right. And in fact, we went through this experience in 1992, three, four, five. We were like the mouse on the, uh, the hamster on the treadmill. You run harder and harder to stand still because the debt compounds. The debt compounds for two reasons. The deficit gets added to the debt every year. And if interest rates are going up, the amount you're paying in interest is going up, when I say twice, it's going up once because you're borrowing more and more money every year, so the debt's getting bigger. And secondly, the interest rate's going up, so you're paying more and more interest, and so you're on this treadmill, and, and it leads to ultimately to a financial crisis. And, and I, I've had this conversation so many times, and people say, no, 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 we're a big, rich country. We can't have a financial crisis. Well, yes, we did. We had it in 1995. Jean Chrétien, Minister of Finance, Paul Martin went down to New York City to the bond markets, and they said, I'm sorry, we're not going to buy your bonds anymore because you're, you're, you're too high risk. And, and they drove down the, the exchange rate because capital was leaving the country because they said, oh, there's very high taxes just around the corner to pay for the mess. And so there was capital flight. So it leads to all kinds of negative consequences 
and that's my worry about this. You know, we are a high-income country. You know, World Bank says that, UN says that, because for 150 years we were we had a prudent, fiscally responsible, bipartisan consensus between the two parties, the Liberals and the Conservatives. Yes, we helped out those who needed help, but we simultaneously balanced that with our need for fiscal prudence and fiscal responsibility. When I read today's throne speech, I, I really believe it's very clear. There wasn't the, no word of fiscal anchors, no word of fiscal responsibility, no mention of fiscal balance. That was thrown out the window completely. Very old-fashioned. Yeah, very old-fashioned. And, and the other thing, Ian, that was said uh, at least twice or three times that I can remember was the phrase that we are building a more resilient country. And that is a great, like, we want a resilient country, but I want to ask you this. If we had started, if we had gone into this pandemic with a trillion or $1.2 trillion in debt, would we have been able to do what we did over the last number of months to prop people up and get people through it? You've asked an excellent question because that's one of the, it's, this isn't about ideology, as the liberals keep saying. There's real world consequences. The more heavily indebted you are, the less opportunities you have, the less degrees of freedom. And I mean by degrees of freedom, the less things you can do. You know, when you owe a ton of money, there's, there's, there's things you can't do. There's things you cannot afford. And, and you risk creditors cutting you off. And, and individuals know that. And yes, we have a, a printing press called the Bank of Canada. But, you know, people think, oh, well, you just keep printing the money to infinity. Well, there's countries that have tried that. I mean, to a much greater degree. Um, Venezuela, uh, Argentina, and there's lots of countries that have run into fiscal crises. And, and they can happen. It's not a, a, a theory of academia. And, uh, you know, we can actually run into a fiscal crisis. We did it in 1995. Argentina runs periodically into where the peso collapses and the, literally 50%. And the price of food imports goes up 50%, and people literally cannot buy their groceries. And we've been fortunate. We've never had one, a fiscal crisis as extreme or severe as a country like Argentina. But for those who think that Argentina is some sort of very obscure third-world country, Argentina in 1918 was wealthier than Canada on a per-person basis. And then under Juan Perón and Isabel Perón, the famous Evita from the Hollywood movies, they started to spend gargantuan amounts of money to redistribute income, help low-income people, and ran up huge, enormous debts. And over a period of 20 years, they literally, Argentina declined from a high-income country to the middle-income country that it is today. And they squandered their prosperity. And for those who say it can't happen, yes, it can. Ian Lee from the Sprott School of Business. Always appreciate your insights. Thanks for taking time today. Really do appreciate it. My, my pleasure, Scott. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Many of you, I'm hoping, were listening last hour. We covered, we carried here live on CHML, the Prime Minister's address to the nation. You probably know the background of this. The throne speech was today. That is the government's laying out of what it's going to be doing or what it hopes to do. And it was a controversial throne speech for sure, because if they are defeated, if the government's defeated, we go to the polls, it's the fall, we may be into a second wave, it's, you know, it's difficult. And then tonight, the prime minister asked for a very unique thing. We don't see this very often where a prime minister or a president in the States for that matter asks the networks for an opportunity to address the nation. We don't see this very often. Well, I mean, we have press conferences that are on the news networks, but we don't see situations very often where the prime minister says, look, this is important enough. This is essential that I be able to speak to the country. And that's what the prime minister asked for today. And I want to hear from you, uh, first of all, on your thoughts on the throne speech, if you want to jump in on that and the massive amounts of spending that would be involved in that one. Ian Lee from the Sprott School of Business is with us first hour saying it's very worrisome whether you love some of the programs or not. We're talking about tens of maybe hundreds of billions of dollars, but also the throne speech. And I'll tell you why. Because when the prime minister started talking this evening in his office in front of a series of flags, it was a very, it was a very, 
I mean, it looked like you would expect for a situation that was earth affecting. You know, when have we seen this before? When have we seen these kind of things before? We've seen it, again, often with American presidents, primarily, more often than anything. But we've seen it when there is a world war, not even a world war, when there's a war, when America is at war. We see the president sitting in the Oval Office in front of his desk talking about the decision that has been made to go after Saddam Hussein or whatever else. We saw it with President Obama when they got Osama bin Laden. We saw him stand up and make that announcement, an address to the nation. When the World Trade Centers were hit, we saw that evening an address to the nation. When the Challenger exploded, we saw, remember Ronald Reagan sitting in front of the desk in the Oval Office, an address to the nation. These are hefty, weighty, moments that you don't use these often. You don't use these often. These are unique. When you say it's an address to the nation, it is a very weighty moment, or at least it should be. And I will say this, for about the first five minutes of his address tonight, Prime Minister was, I think, on point. Because he was talking about COVID, he was talking about how we may be heading or are heading or are in a second wave, how we need to get the flu shot, how we need to wear masks, how we need to maintain social distancing, how we need to download the COVID app. About five minutes, for about five minutes, he was on point. And I thought, you know what? I don't know that I'm yet going to be talking about this moment in history as our generations or this generation's equivalent of World War II, which has sometimes been mentioned. I'm not sure that I'm there yet. In fact, I'm positive I'm not there yet. But nonetheless, it's a weighty moment. We don't want people to die. It's a scary time. And for the first five minutes, I was I was thinking, you know what? He's on, he's, he's on point here. This is good. This is okay. But I'll tell you what. Five minutes in, I think the prime minister completely changed course and really turned this into an abuse of the privilege and an absolute abuse of what an address to the nation is supposed to be. He went from something that I think was on track and something important into something that was an abuse of the position that he is given when he asks the networks for an, a chance to address the nation. Because what happened after about the first five minutes was that he launched into essentially a campaign speech to bolster and reiterate what was said in the throne speech earlier in the day. The governor general for 55 minutes laid out what his throne speech was. That was what that was. He had the because it was his words and his government, he had the entire undivided attention of anyone who was interested to listen to what the government was laying out. And that's what that moment is for. And yes, the other parties then get to give their response to it. But to ask for an address to the nation, which comes with such a sense of gravitas, and then after five minutes of doing a good job, pivoting, pivoting into something that sounds like a political reiteration of a political speech of a political platform to me is outrageous. It really is to me, it entirely abused what this was supposed to be about. And I'll tell you why it's such a problem because the next time a prime minister, whether he or someone else says, I want to address the nation, we don't take it as seriously. And these things should be for moments in history that require absolute sincerity and seriousness. And I'm sorry, if, if any other person, if it had been Jagmeet Singh who did this, I would say the same thing. If it had been Aaron O'Toole who did this, I would say the same thing. You don't ask for this kind of platform and then give a political speech to try and bolster the position, bolster the platform that you just gave. To me, way off base, way off base. And I know that the other leaders got to respond, but they were only responding because the prime minister asked to give an address to the nation and they get to do that. This, to me, should not have happened. I, and, and honestly, when I saw where this thing was going, 
my reaction was, you know what? We aren't, we, we don't have a House of Commons now because it's been prorogued. What we've had for months since COVID hit is the Prime Minister able to stand in front of his house and unencumbered by questions or opposition just to speak to the people and try and be, I think on global, just before we cut away for the news there, talk about daddy prime minister or father prime minister. Just This is not what that is supposed to be. I'm sorry. I thought it was absolutely off base, 90% of what was done tonight. But I want to hear from you, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Maybe you think it was entirely comforting and the whole thing was right on point and you thought it was fantastic. That's fine. That's fine. Maybe you think that he needed to give a second wave. Well, that's a bad choice of words. A second go round. It's about the second wave. That's why it was front of mind. A second go round of the points that were made in the throne speech to really drive the point home. This was not the place for that in my mind, but I want to hear from you. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. I think it was a complete whiff and a completely wrong use of the platform. What do you think? Fred is first up today. Fred joins us here on the Scott Radley show. Fred, how are you this evening? Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, Fred. How are you? Uh, doing okay. Um, I understand. Okay. I partly agree with you what you said what happened tonight because he did, uh, go over what he already did and stated, right? Yep. Now, the thing is when I hear NDP person, the PC lady, she says these words and you probably heard them. She says the government's got to be in the hole. So the people aren't, well, we're the government. So we're in the hole, too, if the government's in the goal. I, I don't understand these people. And the NDP, No Damn Progress Party, they still want more money. Like, how much more money can we give? I'm a pensioner. I'm living on my, my pension. I don't get no raises. I live on what I get, and I go accordingly. But as this epidemic's going on, things are going up higher than I can afford. So... These NDP and the PCs keep saying more money. How much more can they give? I don't think, Fred, let me correct you. I don't think the PC was asking for more and more money. They're asking for less money to be spent. Well, the way she talks, she says the government's got to be in a hole so the people aren't. No, no, that that was, she was, she was, okay, so just to be clear, she did say something to that effect when she gave a, a response. She was pointing out the fallacy of the idea that says that we are different from the government. So she did say that, but she was saying it as a as sort of as a sarcastic tone. But Fred, I thank you for that. Your point is is well taken. Fred, I thank you for the call. Where does this money come from? Where does this money come from? We talked with Ian Lee earlier. And look, I, again, I am I am I'm not sitting here arguing that we shouldn't be doing things for the pandemic or to help people during the pandemic. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that at all. And so things that were said about, you know, in the speech today, in the, in the address to the nation today, if things had been said or the things that were said that were going to help us, like talking about getting your flu shot that is being provided. I, Doug Ford earlier this week said that, or last week, whatever it was, said that the flu shot would be available to everybody for free. Good points. Applause to the, plan, applause to the prime minister on those points. Keep your social distancing. It's, it's still scary out there. Don't be doing stupid stuff. Uh, I, I'm all, I was entirely on board with him. But then when you pivot into discussions about how point number three or ballast number three or whatever of our platform is about climate change and electrical cars, it's like, wait a second. We're here because you've asked for an address to the nation to address an immediate immediate emergent situation. And I'm not sure that electric cars are what we should be talking about in this particular moment. It's, it's, it may be something for down the road, but it's not really what we're talking about right now. And if you're turning the address to the nation into a free advertising campaign, a free ad for your party and for your platform, that is not what this is supposed to be for. Imagine for a second. And I mean, I know that times are changing. And I know that we're going to see this, 
But imagine for a second, those who disagree with me, and you're fully entitled to disagree with me, by the way, you are fully entitled to disagree with me. But imagine for a second, if you disagree with me, that probably means you also are not a big fan of Donald Trump. Many people aren't. Most people aren't. But imagine if this had been Donald Trump asking for time for an address to the nation and the networks gave in, even though they probably didn't, wouldn't want to. And what Donald Trump did was essentially take 15 or 20 minutes and just rather than talking about response to COVID or how to stay safe, just used it as a chance to pitch his party's platform. You would be saying, wait a second, why was that allowed to happen? That's what this was. You can't... Sorry, I, I 905-645-3221 or star 9900. If you felt differently, if you felt very comforted by this, I'd love to hear from you. Or if you felt that this was not a campaign speech, that I am missing the point here. But where I get cranky about this is that we have certain mechanisms in our world, in our country, that are to be taken out for extreme circumstances. And I believe that an address to the nation should be that. It should be one of those bullets in the gun that is fired only in the most extreme circumstances. The country has been attacked. You know, I don't remember, but I'm guessing that probably the night that Nathan Cirillo was killed on Capitol Hill, I don't remember if an address to the nation was given that night probably was. I'm going to assume that that happened that night. I hope it did, because that would be the kind of moment when you have a terror attack on Capitol Hill or on Parliament Hill, pardon me, when you have a terror attack on Parliament Hill, that would be a moment when I would say, yes, an address to the nation comes with the gravitas and seriousness and the single-minded focus that we are going to address, that that should be for. When someone says, when a leader says, I am, there is going to be an address to the nation, We should be turning into that moment with rapt attention because we know what we're going to hear is nonpartisan, apolitical, important details and discussion and breakdown of something that is important to all of us. And once again, to reiterate, the first five minutes or so of the Prime Minister's address today I applaud. I think he was bang on for those first five minutes. And if he had stopped after that and said, listen, I just wanted to make sure that we don't get careless and we stay on track here. And I wanted to take this moment to come to you and to make sure you knew. If he had stopped after that, I would have had zero negative to say. I would have had 100% positive to say, because that would have been an appropriate thing, but he didn't. And to me, that makes this an abuse of the platform, an abuse of the situation. Bob joins us here on the Scott Radley Show. Bob, how are you tonight? Fine, thank you, Scott. I what do you think about say, tonight? Well, I, I, I never agreed with a radio guy so much as I disagreed with everything you said. I agree, I agree with everything you just said about Justin, Richard, Nixon, Trudeau. <laughs> I'm I'm not going to call him that name, but I just think these are moments you don't twist into something that's partisan. Absolutely. It's it's exactly abuse of office. It's like uh, so many other things he's done in the last, you know, few years. It's completely, you know, I I just makes me sick, really. You know, Uh, he's holding our nation, you know, in his grip and getting all the control of the networks. That's just that's awful. It's terrible what he just did. Bob, I thank you for the call. You're no, I, th- I thank you for the call. And, and look, I'm not even going to compare this to the SNC Lavalin or the blackface or any of those things. Those are scandals that, you know, th- those are different things that he's going to have to deal with and, you know, that people will make decisions on. This to me is different because it's not a scandal. Maybe it's just in his mind, a misunderstanding of the platform that he has, but as the prime minister of this country, there should not be a misunderstanding. The phrase address to the nation, to me, from history, carries so much weight. Like when Ronald Reagan sat in front of the Oval, sat in the Oval Office because of the Challenger explosion. And I'll have to go back and watch that speech again. There's a great documentary on Netflix about it. But I don't believe that Ronald Reagan said, horrible tragedy 
you know, they touched the, they broke the surly bonds of earth and touched the face of God or whatever that line was. It was a great line. And as a result, what we really need to do is increase expenses to this and that and the other and decrease this. And that. No, it was a speech that dealt with the topic at hand directly. Boom. That was it. And we were out. That's what the, that's what an address to the nation to me should be. Brian joins us on the line here tonight. Brian, how are you? I'm good, Scott. How are you? I'm doing great. I just, this is unprecedented though, isn't it? I don't think, has there ever been a prime minister that addressed the nation following a throne speech, which is a speech that is representative of the government? And it was an address to the nation already. Absolutely. I mean, why, why today? Why didn't he do it yesterday? And, and I agree with you the first five minutes. Yeah. That was good. It, it seemed sincere. It seemed heartfelt. Yeah. But then you cut yeah. it off. All this was was a freaking free advertisement as far as I'm concerned. It was, Brian, look, you're absolutely right. It's a great point you raised that the throne speech is, by definition, an address to the nation, an uninterrupted, sole-focused spotlight is on your government's plan. That is what you had earlier today, an address to the nation. Well, we, we had... We had part of it because all it was was a glorified wish list with nothing tied to it. But that that doesn't that's that's neither here nor there. I agree with you, but that's neither here nor there. It was an address to the nation. He had the the platform and the stage entirely to himself, read by Governor Julie Payette, Governor General. That's what that was. I don't think now, and if he and that's why Brian, I think that when he says in the evening, I want to have an address to the nation, what I expect is something vastly different with a lot more immediate urgency that you need to tell us at such a crucial level that we must gather around our TVs and watch this. And it's vastly different from what you just told us this afternoon. That's my expectation. I agree hundred percent. I agree. Brian, I thank you for the call. Thank you. No, I thank you for the call. 905-645-3221 star nine, nine zero zero. Got a couple seconds left here. If you want to get in, I, I'm, I rarely get this ticked off about stuff when it comes to politics, because I understand that politics by and large is a game. I mean, it is, it's our money. As Fred said, um, you know, when they talk about how the government says it's going into debt, well, the government is us, it's our money. So yes, it's our money, but it's still a game. We understand they compete. I mean, it's, it's not necessarily always a fun game. Sometimes it's an infuriating game, but there are certain opportunities and certain things that leaders have at their disposal that other people, other politicians, other folks don't have. And they should be used incredibly sparingly, like an address to the nation, incredibly sparingly and incredibly wisely. Wisdom is a word that I would throw in here. It should be used wisely. And again, just in your own mind, think of how many times you have heard a leader give an address to the nation. And as I'm sitting here right now, I can think of, again, the Reagan challenger disaster. I can think of George Bush Sr. talking about going to war in Kuwait with Saddam Hussein and George Bush Jr. I can think of Barack Obama talking about getting Osama bin Laden. I can think of Richard Nixon resigning and the night before that, a couple. And I think if I recall correctly, Bill Clinton didn't address to the nation to address his issues, I believe. Maybe that was just a press conference. I don't remember. When he, did, when he wagged, no, when he wagged his finger, that was just a press conference. That wasn't even an address to the nation. And here in Canada, again, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there was one the night Nathan Cirillo was killed because we were all very much on edge. And George Bush, by the way, Jr. with the World Trade Center. What I, I've just, I, I've racked my brain and I've come up with fewer than 10. And I'm sure I know there were some that were given during World War II and the fireside chats, you know, so like, but incredibly rare, incredibly rare. And you can't use it to make a political campaign stop. You can't abuse the moment 
to pitch your politics. As soon as you start having leaders asking for an address to the nation to pitch their politics, that platform, that spotlight, that stage is diminished to the point now that the next time it's like the girl who cried wolf or the boy who cried wolf. Next time, I don't know how many people tuned in tonight. We won't know that for a while, but the next time I'm positive, there will be fewer. And the time after that, there will be fewer again. And you want to know what happens? The time that it becomes absolutely essential, we're not watching because it's just become another political tool and we have enough political tools. Buy an ad, buy buy 30 minutes on TV if you want. This was not it. I'm sorry. First five minutes, good for you, Prime Minister. Rest of it, horrible failure, complete whiff. Don't do it again. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I'm going to bring Ben in here for a second. Ben's back at the home office. I have not asked him this. I don't know anything about Ben's taste in autumnal food. Are you a pumpkin spice guy? My autumnal preference is sometimes pumpkin, not always pumpkin. I find sometimes pumpkin spice is overused and overhyped. Really? Yeah, a little bit. You don't say. Um, I, I am I am absolutely on the non-pumpkin spice end of things, which works out well and not well. It works out well because I don't have to buy all the crap that they're putting out these days. The bad side, I suppose, is my wife is a big pumpkin spicer. And so we sometimes get groceries coming home that have a little too much in the pumpkin spice department, which it cuts me out of eating any of it. So, so if, it- she wants, if she wants something that she knows that I'm not going to get into, for example, I have a problem with ice cream. I'm going to acknowledge it. I don't have a problem with drugs. I don't have a problem with booze. I don't have a problem with gambling. I don't smoke. But you put ice cream in the house, I have a problem. <laughs> She knows. And so if she wants ice cream for herself, that's not going to be empty by the time she goes to the freezer and finds that the tub is done, buy a bucket of pumpkin spice, it'll be there for the next eight years. I won't touch it. I suppose the only other alternative is one of those Ben and Jerry ice cream locks that you can put on them. They have those? Oh yeah, it's like a, it's a roller combination lock and it's pretty robust if you trust in your Ben and Jerry's ice cream with it. I'm sincerely hoping that my wife is not listening right now. And I think there's a pretty fair chance that that's true. (laughs) Uh, She hears me enough during the day. The last thing she wants to do is then tune in every night and listen on the show. But here, let me go through. We're going to go through, Ben. These are all absolutely. So let me back up for one second. The whole pumpkin spice thing seems to have started, at least most people point to Starbucks, Pumpkin spice latte. That seems to be, I'm sure it was around before, and certainly pumpkin and pumpkin pie and stuff was around before. But pumpkin spice latte seems to be the launching point that got all these other companies going, well, if you can do pumpkin spice, we can do pumpkin spice, and we can do it even bigger and better and more pumpkin-y and more spicy-y. Let me go through some of these things. These are all 100% legitimate products. Unlike, unlike, by the way, I'll just say this off the top, just in case there was a, there was a very funny fake ad that was put out for pumpkin spice scented feminine hygiene products. (laughs) They were not true. That was not a real thing. Not saying it won't happen, but so far that is not a legitimate thing that we know of, but these are all 100% legitimate I'm going to get Ben. It's either a thumbs up, yes, this sounds delicious, or a thumbs down, no, this is not where pumpkin spice belongs. Starting with pumpkin spice chicken sausages. Oh, wow. I can't give a thumbs up or down to that. I'm giving it kind of like a a sort of thumbs up-y, sort of sideways. Why not just feed the chicken pumpkins, pumpkin seeds, and then it comes through. Pumpkin, Pumpkin pie Pringles. Yeah, I'll give a thumbs up to that. I'd give that a shot. Oh, gross. Pumpkin spice Pringles. Pringles are supposed to be salty food, salty snacks, not pumpkin. You don't want gourd or sweet or pumpkin in your chips. But could the salt accentuate the pumpkin? I doubt it. Nothing could. 
Pumpkin pasta sauce. Pumpkin spice pasta sauce. Thumbs down. Yeah, I'm, I'm thumbs down on that one too. That is a, uh, I don't want my noodles covered in pumpkin. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, pumpkin and all, again, all these things are real products. I'm looking at photos of all of them. Regretting. None of these are made up. Pumpkin spice hummus. I could maybe see a thumbs up for that. It's kind of a similar texture. I'll give you that. I'll give you that hummus and ground pumpkin or pumpkin paste or pumpkin pie mix. They're in the same family. It's believable that it could work. Yeah, that this one, at, you're right. I, I will, I'm not going to eat it. Although I did eat, I did recently, and we have some in our fridge right now. We have dark chocolate hummus, which I thought was very odd. That's very odd. It's almost Although, like a fondue kind of chocolate dipped it anything. It's more of a fondant, fondant. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's okay. All right. Have you ever had Pop Rocks? I have. Pumpkin spice Pop Rocks. I could see that working. I not tempted to give it a shot because pumpkin's anything but sweet in my opinion at least oh i'm sure they've got nine pounds of sugar for every bag of this stuff many years ago by the way maybe we have to do this again there was a um there was a story out there an urban legend that if you ate a bag of pop rocks and then drank a coke you would explode i'm willing to try that we tried it on the air i risked my life i am still here urban legend defeated, Deep proven out. wrong. It did make me highly gassy. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Uh, it was coming out both ends for the next few hours. I'm not going to make that up, but. Um, did you chug like a two liter of Diet Coke or no, something? No, I didn't do it. I just had a can. I, I, I slugged back the whole bag of Pop Rocks and just sort of swallowed as fast as I could and then washed it down with a Coke. And I thought, well, the urban legend says that my stomach is going to explode live on the air here. Do you have it's a amazing st- what I do for the craft. Was there a stopwatch or something saying I should be dead in three, two? Oh, okay. I nothing. Didn't, I didn't time it. I figured I, if it was real, I'd be dead before the end of the show. <laughs> and again, all that happened, I was burping a lot. And then an hour or so later, I was doing other stuff a lot, but uh, it didn't kill me. Pumpkin spice salmon. No, no, it's pumpkin spice. That should be for baked goods only. Leave your salmon unflavored short of salmon. Or a little squirt of lemon and some some chive and uh, yeah, I'm with salt and pepper. Pumpkin spice salsa. I could see that working, but you know, the whole salsa-ness would probably just overpower any pumpkin you'd ever have. Yeah, probably. And since whenever I get salsa, I just douse it in hot sauce anyway until the point where it's almost flaming. I I posted today. By the way, I posted today on Facebook. I saw this, speaking of that, totally off topic. A guy who, I mean, he was from the deep, deep south and looked like it and talked like it. And he decided he was going to do a challenge. His wife gave him a box of 12 different hot sauces. And they were, you know, not full bottles, you know, half the size of a travel shampoo bottle or something, each one emptied each of them into a cup and then guzzled (laughs) to see what would happen. (laughs) Talk about nearly blowing up. The Pop Rocks didn't do it. He almost died. That would be bad. I'd be willing to do that. I love hot sauces, Carolina Reaper, Ghost Pepper, all of it. I love it. I used to use those to wet my mouth when I'd go into work. Yeah, this, but drinking gulps of it. I I could do it. I could do that. All right, here's where we start getting into the pumpkin spice stuff where I think that there are people in the industry who should have stuck with pumpkin spice and not delved into high-grade cocaine and heroin before coming up with their ideas. Pumpkin spice bottled water. What? It's water. It's water. Not anymore. Not anymore. Now it's pumpkin spice flavor. What do you do? Get some pumpkin spice powder and just kind of shake it like a cocktail shaker? It's clear. I mean, it looks like water, but it's going to taste like pumpkin spice, which is really disconcerting. Uh, what do we, I don't even know what this is. Oh, a pumpkin spice hookah tobacco. (laughs) (laughs) That that seems to be really taking the, like hookah is supposed to be cool, isn't it? I've never done hookah. 
people know what that is, right? You, you boil water and you've got some tobacco on the top and it's a, it's a very Middle Eastern thing to do. And it's a, they sit around in hookah cafes and it's a social thing there, but there's gotta be, I, I, it's, I think it's supposed to be kind of a cool thing. I don't know that pumpkin spice is going to emanate cool. Maybe it's trying to reach out to new markets. I suppose pumpkin spice Starbucks, have a, have a pumpkin spice latte while you're hookahing. Yeah, bring a hookah into a Starbucks. It could work. This one, this one, I don't even understand this one. I don't even understand this one. Um, p- pumpkin spice plastic fish bait. <laughs> to attract the fish that wear Uggs? Well, I don't understand. Yeah, uh, do fish like pumpkin spice? Is that the secret that we have never been told? Musky love pumpkin spice. Uh, maybe. Uh, although I've never... I've never tested it. I mean, I like fishing. Maybe that'll be my next test. I'll, I'll coat something. I'll dip a lure, a bait into pumpkin spice latte. I'll take one with me and see if they, if they bite pumpkin spice cigarillos. Okay. Then that's a, I could see that working if you throw it into a cigarillo and then you have a, did I say it wrong? Cigarillo. I, I, that's what I've always. No, well, you probably, you probably got it right. I'm sure yours sounds way better than mine. It's a double L, right? I think so. I just deleted that folder, so I don't know anymore. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that, again, sp- smoking those things, they're supposed to be a tobacco flavor. I don't know if smoking a pumpkin is going to be a flavorful experience and a joyful experience Maybe for if you turned a pumpkin into a bong, maybe you get some sort of extra pumpkininess. Yeah, they didn't. They, on the list, nowhere do we have pumpkin spice cocaine, by the way, just in case. <laughs> pumpkin spice Eggo waffles. Uh, I could see this working, but this is a stretch. To call Eggos waffles is a stretch on its own. We all know that it's there's nothing really that good in it. So, sure, why not? One of the great foods that, and I'm sorry to the company for saying this, uh, but I'm not sure how healthy it is for you, but my goodness, it is delicious is Pillsbury dough, you know, when you get the can and you slice the things and you bake the buns right out of the can. I I have never looked at the ingredients. It's never struck me that that is going to be the height of health food, but my goodness, that's delicious. But now they're doing it in pumpkin spice Pillsbury dough buns. I would eat, I not I would, I could with great pleasure eat several tins of those. Yes. And honestly, pumpkin spice is not going to deter me from doing it anymore. Mm. Pumpkin spice Hershey's kisses. I tried those. I, I'd give that a thumbs up. That seems pretty good. Pumpkin spice Greek yogurt. I don't know about that one. I'd try it reluctantly. Pumpkin. I've had this next one only because I am a connoisseur of all flavors of this product. Pumpkin spice pop tarts. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. I'd be yeah, willing no, to have it's not. no, no, it's horrible. Oh, it's horrible. It's not I better love... than originals. I, I love Pop-Tarts. Blech. That was horrible. And pumpkin spice Oreos. Why do you tinker? Why tinker? Why tinker with something that's perfect? Really? Oreos are the perfect thing. The one perfect thing in the existence of ever. Oreos. Until, until Oreo people, they made Oreos and they had Oreo double stuff. And then they had Oreo extra stuff. And then they had Oreo. We bought some last time we were in the States, which is obviously before March. Um, Oreo, like super stuff. Super and stuff. Ben, I, I swear to you, if you were to pile six or seven quarters end to end, like on top of each other. Yep. So you make a stack of quarters, six or seven of them at least. That's how thick the stuff was in there. That it got to the amazing. point where it tasted like you were, or felt like you were eating a marshmallow. <laughs> But it was just, anyway, too much. Have you uh, ever pumpkins, considered stacking, like take the icing off and just keep stacking them, see how far you can go? I haven't, but we have some in the closet and guess what I'm doing tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I've got my evening activity all planned out now. Yes, the itinerary is full now. The itinerary is full. <laughs> I'm going to do some writing. I'm going to do some video editing for something we do and I'm going to eat Oreos with extra stuff stacked together. Pumpkin spice ice cream sandwiches. Sure. Two thumbs up on that. Why not? At this point, we might as well give it a shot. 
Pumpkin spice triscuits. No, 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 no. No, I don't like any of that. I don't like any of that at all. That doesn't sound good. It really doesn't. Pumpkin spiced alcoholic cider. Sure, I could see that working. Uh, um, I feel like they're really reaching. this, This next one, no. This one, this one to me would be near the top of the most disgusting. Pumpkin spice Wrigley's extra gum. Yes, see, that to me is repulsive. You're just chewing and the taste never goes away of pumpkin spice. That's horrible. Like pumpkin flavoring isn't that bad, but not in that consistency and that length. No. Pumpkin spice spice butter. Oh, that could work. I could see that being pretty decent. Pumpkin spice peeps. No. Do you know know what peeps are? Yeah. Those little yellow... Birds, birds that yeah, are marshmallow. Yeah, these are now sugar. not yellow. They're Orange? like orangey brown. They look like now, quite honestly, they look like poops. <laughs> <laughs> if you have to look close to see that it's a bird. Otherwise, it just looks like a, like a, a like your dog left something on the kitchen counter. Pumpkin spice candy corn. That just already sounds dumb. already well already a food that there's questions about. I love I'm never candy sure corn. if I like candy. Do you like candy corn? I love candy corn. All right. I'm not sure I'm into candy corn already. And then you do that. Pumpkin spice pretzels. No, it's a pretzel. Don't ruin the pretzel. It's perfectly good. This one, I, I have a real problem with. We got to be done here. I got two more. I got a real problem because the original is one of my favorite things in the world to eat. Werther's originals. Those are good. Those are they very are. Good. I've got a pile of the, I got a bowl of them on my desk right where I'm sitting right now. Pumpkin spice, though, you've ruined what you made. Werther's original pumpkin spice, no thanks. You think they could redeem it by making like a little caramel nugget of pumpkin on the inside? I doubt it. I doubt it. And here's one more, maybe two, but one more. Pumpkin spice dog treats. Do you think your dog really cares? Your dog licks his own bottom. And his other private parts. Do you think the dog is really sitting there going, what I really need, what I really desire this fall is pumpkin spice flavored chewies. I only am the finest connoisseur of. Yeah, of butt sniffing and pumpkin spice products. (laughs) Maybe there's a correlation. Maybe there's a correlation. There may be. Last one. I don't even know what the brand name is on this one. I'm way late. Spray on pumpkin spice. It's just it like, is just an aerosol can of flavored pumpkin spice that you can put on anything. That's dumb. Horrendous. Horrendous. Anyway, I'm sure there'll be more by next year and more probably by tomorrow there'll be more. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.